a night of records in Iowa. CNN projects that Donald Trump will win the Iowa caucuses. CNN can make this projection based on his overwhelming lead in our entrance poll of Iowa caucus goers and some initial votes that are coming in. The former president. It took most news networks less than an hour to project the former president had won the Iowa caucuses. And they weren't wrong. Donald Trump secured a landslide victory in the same caucuses he lost in 2016. But this time, he's won key voting blocks in the state. Young and old, men and women. All this, despite the legal and political drama around his candidacy. The Iowa caucuses were set against the backdrop of temperatures well below freezing across the state, with Trump now taking the first significant step towards becoming the Republican Party's nominee for November's presidential election. So we're going to put America first. We're going to make America great again. Again, Iowa, we love you. You are going to, oh, you just go out and buy larger tractors and more land. Don't worry about it. So what does the Iowa victory mean for Trump and the other Republican Party nominee hopefuls? We'll delve into that and more shortly. My name is Erdem Koch. And I'm Ozan Ibrahim. Welcome to Put Simply. Welcome to the first episode of Put Simply, presented to you by Aroka Media. Aroka Media is part of Aroka Group, a global boutique consultancy that specialises in public policy, media and training. So whether you're seeking to influence policy or implement a PR campaign or need some training in either area, Aroka services are tailored to meet your specific needs. And Aroka brings you this podcast. So why Put Simply? Good question, Adam. I don't know about you, but every day I get more and more information coming my way and I'm completely overwhelmed by the sheer volume of this information. I'm completely drowning in detail and struggling to keep up with the news. So we thought to ourselves, what can we do about this situation? And that's how Put Simply came about. It's a podcast that acts as a shortcut to understanding the news without the jargon. It's about making complex information and topics accessible to everybody regardless of background or prior knowledge. So each week, we'll dive into a range of topics from current events and politics to science and technology, and we'll focus on delivering the essentials, providing clarity and cutting through the noise. And Adam, I really think there's no better week to start than this as the race to the White House officially gets underway. Indeed, Ozan, and it's kicked off formally for the Republican Party with the first caucuses done and dusted in Iowa. So, Put simply, what are the Iowa caucuses that everyone's been talking about? Why do they matter? How are they different from a regular primary? And what does the result mean for the next 10 months of the US presidential campaign? To make sense of it all, we're joined by Matthew Klink from Klink Campaigns. Matt is an American political consultant and commentator, has decades of experience in the corporate sector and is a consultant on many campaigns across the US. He also contributes regularly to various media outlets and we're very lucky to have him join us from Los Angeles where he's been following the Iowa caucuses closely and will help us put it simply here on Put Simply. Matt Klink, welcome to Put Simply. Please introduce yourself for those who may not know you. Uh, well, good morning to both of you. Thank you for having me on the inaugural podcast. Uh, I'm a, a political consultant uh, from lovely Los Angeles, California. Uh, I have worked, I work primarily in the United States, uh, in the nation state of California, uh, but also in other Western states. Uh, and I have worked on political campaigns at the federal, state, and local level 
uh, and then I am the immediate past president of the International Association of Political Consultants, where we focus on promoting democracy around the world. So uh, that really is a quick thumbnail about me, but uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you both about Iowa today. Let's start there in Iowa. And before we get into the results, Matt, and what it means for the U.S. presidential race, what exactly is the Iowa caucus and how is it different from a primary? Well, it's significantly different. So let's let's deal with the primary first, because that's the easiest one. A primary is just like any election uh, where there are literally votes cast of everyone who turns out to vote. Those votes are tallied and we get a winner. Uh, A caucus is much different. And Uh, Basically, what a caucus is, it's a meeting style format uh, that happen in precincts, which in the United States are the smallest electoral area in a given county, uh, where literally in Iowa, people meet and they talk and then they vote on paper uh, for candidates. And it's not, this is really important, it is not a representative sample of Iowa voters because only about Uh, 15 to 20 percent of Iowa Republican voters participate in the caucus. Uh, And really, uh, in Iowa, because it's first, it has an overstated importance for candidates. Uh, Everyone is kind of looking at Iowa because they say, "Okay, who can mobilize people, who can turn their people out and who can show that they have the organizing ability to run a campaign as if. Iowa, which is a very tiny, largely white conservative state, is emblematic of the multiracial, multiethnic tap tapestry that is the U.S. But nonetheless, because it's first, it's overly important. Matt, um, why are we only hearing about Republican candidates this time around? So the the, the simple reason is because Joe Biden uh, back in 2016 did not fare well in Iowa. And the Democratic National Committee, which control which the Biden campaign controls, decided that they wanted to go to South Carolina, which in the Democratic primary has a much larger African-American voting population. And South Carolina really handed Joe Biden his only hit or his first win in 2016. Uh, so typically, both Republicans and Democrats caucus. Uh, in uh, 2016, the Democrats royally screwed up the Iowa caucuses. They didn't announce a winner for you know at least three days. And at that point, the nation had moved on to New Hampshire, which comes a week later. Uh, and th- that became more important. So Iowa's moment in the sun is brief. Uh, that's why the caucuses, if they're not done right immediately, people quickly forget about them. So looking at what actually happened in Iowa, put simply, tell us the outcome of it. A couple things are important. One, Iowa is all about meeting the expectation game. And everyone assumed that Donald Trump was going to win. Uh, He symbolically remains above the 50% threshold number. Again, even though the the number of votes, there were only 110,000 people that turned out to caucus, which is a lower number, uh, but he still got over 51% of the vote. So he he solidified himself as far and away the strongest Republican candidate. Now, in years past, where you finish in the caucus gives you momentum coming 
rolling into the future. So while Ron DeSantis did finish second, he was really the big loser last night because the next two states up in voting are the New Hampshire primary uh, and Governor Nikki Haley uh, is endorsed by uh, the governor of New Hampshire, uh, uh, Sununu, and she's going to overperform there. And New Hampshire is a more moderate state than is Iowa. And Nikki Haley does better with moderate voters. Then we head into South Carolina. And while Donald Trump is still ahead, Nikki Haley's the former governor of South Carolina. So Ron DeSantis needed to do a lot better than 21%. Uh, his money is already running short. And I think that we may have seen the 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 first and last gasp of a Ron DeSantis presidential campaign. Matt, in, in 2016, when Trump first ran for president, he actually underperformed in Iowa, if I remember correctly. He came in second with around a quarter of the vote. What changed to lead to him having more than 50%? And what do you think it means for the for the rest of the race this year? Let's put it this way. First, Iowa is different. It's significantly whiter. It's significantly more conservative than is most of the United States. I mean, if we were looking for a, a state that is representative of the U.S., Iowa's not it. But historically, they have always gone first with the caucus. And where the voting blocks break down is that Nikki Haley does better with moderate voters. She does better with uh, Republican voters with a college education or above. And you'll note that in Iowa, there are 99 counties. Trump won 98 counties. The only county where, that Nikki Haley won, it's called Johnson County, which is where the University of Iowa is located. So she does better with college-educated voters, and she does better, this won't surprise either of you, with women voters. Uh, so uh, Donald Trump does much better with non-college-educated Republican voters, which, believe it or not, the majority of Americans still don't have a college education. Uh, and he does better with, with certainly with men. Uh, and he does better with uh, rural voters, which are large in Iowa. So this was really tailor-made for him. Uh, but it also showcases what the anticipated voting blocks will be uh, heading into the, the November general election with Joe Biden. I'm going to ask the uh, the, the really important questions. Um, what is a Grassley and why has one candidate done it once and uh, and another candidate done it twice? How do you get this accolade, Matt? So a Grassley is named after Senator Chuck Grassley, who is the uh, the senior senator in the Iowa congressional delegation. And Chuck Grassley, I mean, he's no spring chicken, uh, but he is a very with it 90 year old who still runs every morning. Uh, and a Grassley means that you go to, Iowa has 99 counties. And he makes it a point every year of personally visiting every 99 county in Iowa. So a county is you have states. Within states, you have individual counties. Within individual counties, you have cities. And within cities, you have precincts. So there are 99 Priests, or there are 99 counties in Iowa, and Chuck Grassley visits them every year. Ron DeSantis did it this year. 
Uh, it's very, very difficult to do. But again, in Iowa, they expect that. they. This is a place where you have candidates in your living room. You meet them at diners. You don't have, you know, 10,000 person events. You have 100 person coffees where they, you, the, the Iowans like to touch and feel their candidates. And that's what Chuck Grassley does. It's retail politicking at its best. We hear a lot of talk about the Iowa Fair. Um, how, how does a, a fair have such an important influence on selecting a, a presidential candidate? What happens at this fair, Matt? So the Iowa State Fair, uh, it's truly an event. I mean, every state has them, uh, but the Iowa State Fair is, it, it happens, uh, to, it ends two days before Labor Day uh, each year. So it happens over the summer and it's a little bit of everything. They have rides, they have, you know, agricultural competitions, like for the best hog and the best cow. Uh, and when candidates go, again, both Republicans and Democrats go, and they they not only host political events, but they also, we say, press the flesh. They walk around and they shake hands and they talk to people. It really is what's expected in Iowa. And with the news media, it gets massive coverage because really American presidential campaigns, even though they're now multi-year events, they start in earnest right after Labor Day. So just as the Iowa caucus is the first uh, voting uh, events in a presidential election year, the Iowa State Fair really kicks off the campaign, the formal campaign season for the president of the United States. And it's it's great fun. Um, you know, again, the, you know, you'll see uh, gov the governor of Iowa, since, since she's a Republican, ironically enough, she endorsed Ron DeSantis. She'll escort around the Republican candidate. It used to be when Senator Harkin, a Democrat, was there, he would escort around the, any Democratic presidential candidate. And it, it just is, it's symbolic of the way things were in a much simpler time in America, which you know, many of us, not all of us, but many of us hearken back to when life was much slower uh, and politics were were much more straightforward. So coming back to the implications of Iowa now, putting aside the legal and political drama around Trump at the moment, we'll get to that. In an ordinary year, if you will, does the result from Iowa make Trump the presumptive nominee for the Republican Party? Based on one event, uh, yes, Donald Trump is the clear Republican frontrunner. Uh, and look, he has a very compelling case to be made against Joe Biden. Uh, you know, e even though the the intelligentsia or the Washington, D.C. insiders will boast about the U.S. economy being the strongest in the world, people know that they're paying more for consumer goods. Gasoline is still expensive. Our mortgage rates have skyrocketed under Joe Biden. The world is a significantly less safe place with Joe Biden in the White House. You know, I will remind everyone that the two times that Russia has gone into Ukraine occurred under de under a Democrat president. First in 2014, when Barack Obama was president, and then again uh, in uh, 2021, 2022, when Joe Biden was president. America is weaker on the world stage with Joe Biden as president, uh, in part because Joe Biden is not mentally 100% with it. Uh, just look at him. He can't hold lengthy conversations. 
And even though Donald Trump is almost his age, there is a chasm difference in the uh, the intellectual uh, energy of both of both campaigns. So, you know, right now, Donald Trump is the clear front runner. Joe Biden want, needs to run another basement campaign like he did uh, during COVID. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. And that's why, you know, all of the Republican candidates lead Joe Biden uh, and Donald Trump leads him by the least amount. But he also has the ability to motivate the most people. Well, let's look at the legal and political drama surrounding Trump now. He's in court over tens of charges, both state and federal. Put simply, could he be running for president with a conviction hanging over his head? I mean, as a non-American trying to make sense of this, this seems very, very messy. Well, as an American, it's, it is incredibly <laughs> messy. Um, I mean, look, he, he, has, he faces 91 felony counts. Uh, you know, most of them are federal charges. Some are state charges. So the, the federal charges now, and this is all in theory because it's never happened before. Uh, he could be convicted federally and then he could pardon himself. Uh, no one knows if that is indeed even possible. He then faces a number of charges in the state of Georgia, specifically in uh, Fulton County, Georgia, uh, where, uh, as, as we've just read this weekend, the local district attorney who was leading the case hired a special prosecutor, uh, has been coordinating with the White House. And as it turns out, it was now disclosed that she's been having an affair with that prosecutor. So, Erdem, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> I mean, America is like the world's greatest soap opera. All that being said, Donald Trump is frantically raising money not only to campaign, but also to fund all of these many lawsuits that he has. Uh, and, you know, it is, uh, I will note, and this is important for, for your audience, that in spite of the fact that a lot of the Democrats and others talk about, you know, Donald Trump, Donald Trump supported an insurrection on January 6th, he's not charged with that. Nothing in the lawsuits talk about insurrection because they know that that's virtually impossible to prove. So that's hyperbole that's used by the left. Now, all that being said, let's assume that Trump does get elected. I know that gives a lot of people a moment to gasp for air. But even if we do go through a political campaign, I mean, Joe Biden will use the fact that Donald Trump is a convicted felon to campaign against him. And that will drive some Republican voters. They probably won't vote for Biden because he's such a stumbler and bumbler, but they'll stay home, which is tantamount to giving a vote to Joe Biden in roughly five states that are going to determine the 2024 presidential election. So in the spirit of putting things simply, assuming he is the Republican nominee and he is convicted, can he still run for president? Yes, because he will appeal. And it's even doubtful that he will be convicted of the federal charges before November because of delays in the process. I mean, look, Donald Trump has been impeached twice by Congress. That is an inherently political process. There are, yes, there are legal requirements to be met, but it's political. When you go into court, you are innocent until proven guilty in America. So Donald Trump will get the right to depose witnesses, 
to to do any number of things that he's never availed himself of in the political swirl of Washington, D.C. That takes time. And what the U.S. Attorney's Office is trying to do, they're trying to cram this in sooner rather than later to get that conviction for Joe Biden before November. Donald Trump is going to slow this out. He's going to drag this out as far and as as close to November as he possibly can or even beyond it. And at that point, there is a question as to whether a sitting U.S. president can be arrested. Again, this is all unknown and it's all in theory. You know, I w- it's not ideal by any stretch of the imagination. Vivek Ramaswamy, he positioned himself as a confident young alternative to the right and he pulled out of the race on, on Iowa caucus night and he's now supporting Trump. Could we see him back in 2028? Look, Vivek Ramaswamy went from nothing, meaning nobody knew who he was, uh, to someone who was, I think he was effective, but I mean, you you all both know because you're experienced political professionals you know, or in the media, you deal with candidates a lot. Vivek Ramaswamy was one of those people that was super smart, but everything that he said was pre-programmed. You could tell that he had he had thought up the script for virtually every answer, and it was like he just hit play. There was no personality or or uniqueness about him, and he was always in the race as kind of the the Trump whisperer, uh, who said that you know he you know he agreed with President Trump, but he was just a different different person. So he could have a future. I mean, look, the, the guy's a the guy's a multimillionaire. He can do whatever he wants. And I think that he could do something. It's just a question of whether he has the the heart to a lot of what he'll do, put it this way, a lot of what he would do in 28 depends more on what happens in 2024. What role do you think third party candidates are going to play? Um, we've heard a lot about various of them running, potentially stealing votes away from from Trump. And then there's others on the, the Democratic side who we understand could also significantly damage Joe Biden's chances in particularly very close marginal states. So could you make some comment around that? Absolutely. America has a strong tradition of two political parties. It's been ever since, so 1860 was when the Republican Party uh, really became prominent with with the first candidate, Abraham Lincoln, uh, who uh, defeated Stephen Douglas. And then obviously the Civil War happened. Um, but we have America has two has two political parties. However, periodically we do have third party candidates that do swing the election. So, for example, uh, in 1992, when George Herbert Walker Bush, the Bush first, Bush the first, ran, Ross Perot ran and took 19 percent of the vote and handed the election to Bill Clinton. Uh, interestingly enough, in 2016. Uh, the Democrats, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton ran very close to Donald Trump and a few, you know, across the U.S. actually won the popular vote. But in swing states, uh, the Green Party put up a candidate and the Green Party pulled one to two percent of the vote in key states and don't help Donald Trump win those states. Because as you you may recall, America does not directly elect its president. We vote for electors in states and the electors vote for president. So if in 2024, we do have other candidates that are running, uh, for example, um, you know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. 
uh, he pulls votes from both Donald Trump and from Joe Biden. Uh, if you get another third party, there's a group called No Labels, uh, and they have said that they would choose a Republican president and a Democrat vice president. Uh, and they're now attempting to qualify in key states. They could again pull more votes. It would hurt Joe Biden more than it would hurt Donald Trump. Uh, Joe Biden needs a united Democratic Party uh, that votes in in mass for him. I mean, let's not forget Donald Trump in 2020 got 74 million votes, the largest vote total ever for a Republican candidate. Now, Joe Biden got 81 million, and that's why he is now the president of the United States. But if if, if a second candidate or a third part or another third candidate, you know, or even like their Cornell West is running as an independent as well, African-American intellectual, uh, if he pulls away some of the African-American vote, that could really hurt Donald Trump. Because again, we don't really care about the national voter number. What we care about is the number of votes in about five states, which are going to determine who the next president is. Matt, you mentioned New Hampshire earlier as the state, next state, I should say, to head to the polls. What happens there? Is it similar to the Iowa caucuses or not? So New Hampshire is the second state, they, and they are the first primary election. And it's actually in their constitution that they are the, the state constitution, that they are the first primary campaign of any presidential election year. New Hampshire, again, it's it's not emblematic of the United States. It's a north it's a northern US small state uh north of Massachusetts uh that has a history of voting uh very independently. It's a much more accurate predictor of who the Republican presidential nominee will be than is Iowa. Uh, but in but again. This is not a caucus. This is a primary election where people actually go to the voting booth and they cast their ballots for a candidate. Uh, Nikki Haley is running much, much stronger uh, in Iowa or in New Hampshire. Uh, and Governor Chris Christie, who dropped out last week, uh, had you know, while he hasn't endorsed Nikki Haley because he was running largely an anti-Trump campaign. Most of his voters are going to go toward Nikki Haley. So Nikki Haley needs, again, it's all about expectations here. Donald Trump is still ahead, but that margin that I'm told now is roughly 12 percentage points. If Nikki Haley can close that to under 10 and finish a very strong second, she'll have momentum going into South Carolina, uh, which is, again, another primary state. And she knows how the state works because she was she was the governor for two terms before she was selected to be Trump's ambassador to the United Nations. So, uh, again, New Hampshire is important. It's all about momentum moving forward. And I think it's important for your listeners to understand the reason that these states are important is that they get delegates to the Republican and to the Democrat convention. And if you get a majority of delegates, that's how you become the nominee of the party. So there were 40 delegates up for grabs uh, in Iowa, and they are divided based on proportional share of that vote. So Donald Trump, because he got 50% to keep the math easy, he'll get 20 delegates coming out of Iowa. And then the remaining 20 will get divided by the rest of the candidates. And 
you know, larger states have larger number of delegates. So when we say uh, that in the first Tuesday in March, March 5th, uh, they talk about Super Tuesday. There are a number of states in the United States that have voting on the same day. That's really where the election will largely be decided. And if Donald Trump swing, you know, takes the table, he will likely be the nominee because some states, the delegates are not proportionally divided. They're a winner take all. So in California, you know, where I live, the largest state, the number of delegates is massive and gives you, a, and it's a winner take all state. So if you win, if you win California, if you win Texas, if you win, you know, other states, you're, you jump in terms of delegate count. And then you go into the convention, and it really is by acclamation uh, that the 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 front runner will be the the Republican nominee for twenty twenty four. What a year we have in store! Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm telling you, the, the, <laughs> it's it will be the best show in town um, to just to watch what's going to happen. Because anybody who says they know what's going to happen, I mean, it's easy to say Trump v Biden, but there will be so many twists and turns in the road. It's going to be, it will make for great political theater. For people like us, it will be a must-see TV. Well, Matt, one thing we do know for sure is that we're likely to keep knocking on your door again this year as the race continues to the White House. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Call me anytime. See you guys. Matthew Klink, an American political consultant and commentator, our first guest here on Put Simply. Be sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and do follow Aroka Group on LinkedIn to keep informed of all of Aroka's activities. Until next time, here on Put Simply, I've been your host, Erdem Koch. And I'm Ozan Ibrahim. Thanks for listening.